this morning as you're getting settled in, I invite you to think with me for a moment about the uh, best storyteller that you know. Just ponder that for just a quick second and uh, uh, raise your hand if you've got a name that you'd be willing to share. Michelle? Pete Owens. I knew Pete Owens, and Pete Owens could tell a story. Uh, part of what made, I'll ask this question in a minute, for me, part of what made Pete Owens' stories good was they were so on the edge of, is he telling me the truth or is he telling a whopper? And usually there was enough of both woven in uh, to keep you engaged. Somebody else, a good storyteller in your experience. Tony, your dad. All right. Somebody else. Nobody else knows a good story. Dan? Uncle Milt. Now, it just sounds like a storyteller, doesn't it? Uncle Milt. All right. Good. Zach? Your grandma. All right. Jonathan? Ruby K. Ruby K. How many of us have children who can tell a great story? All right. Now, my question is, uh, what makes them effective as a storyteller or what makes for a good story? What's that? They're animated. They're engaging. You know, voice fluctuation. They may talk a lot with their hands. Uh, They may get so excited if you're too close, they spit on you, which is why few people sit up here. Um, uh, What else makes for a good story? Interesting content? Credibility or lack thereof. Uh, all right. What else? Creativity. You know, again, you know, some creative license with the truth is, is acceptable. Uh, what else? Anything? Some people just have that engaging nature. Uh, yeah. I mean, nobody threw them out there. Some of you old timers will remember Lynn Turner. Lynn Turner told a great story and, and he was engaging, animated, creative. All right. Good stuff. So now imagine with me, uh, that you've heard about, I mean, a great storyteller. This storyteller is telling stories and attracting great crowds and, and lives are actually being changed. As a result, and you have the opportunity one day to gather on the beach while this storyteller, because of the size of the crowd, kind of gets in a small boat and moves a little offshore, creating a natural amphitheater so that the large crowd can hear. And on this particular day, he's telling a lot of stories. Can you click and change the background? Perfect. Thank you. I didn't know if that would kill my... my, uh, uh, pictures in a minute. So, all right. So he's ta- telling a story about sorting seeds and pulling weeds. Uh, is there anyone here who does not know what a seed is? Is there anyone who does not know what a weed is? I sometimes suggest that I don't because uh, I don't want to help. All right. There are few weeds that I'm sure of. I Ragweed, I'm pretty confident. Um, nettles, I'm pretty confident, but sometimes I do need some help knowing the difference. So we'll come to that in a minute. Well, this storyteller is telling a story about sorting seeds and pulling weeds as we're gathered on the shore listening to him. And he's already told some incredible stories that have got the gears turning. And he launches into this one. And, and I want you to help me tell the story. So read this aloud with me. 
Okay, what I'm going to offer briefly is um, an explanation that kind of goes behind this story, uh, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And then I'm going to share some application or some observation as far as things that we might take away from this story. Even though this story was told literally thousands of years ago, it, we know weeds, we know seeds, we understand some of the dynamics, and part of the reason we plant seeds is because we want to grow something that we choose to grow, not something that we choose not to grow. So it, it has application for us today. But first, the explanation. And um, many scholars um, agree that this practice... Now, see, how many of you have neighbors who plant gardens? Any of you? Any of you dislike your neighbor enough that you're going to run over and plant weeds in their garden for them? Uh, somebody raised that hand, but we don't want to call that out. All right. But but apparently this was not an uncommon practice in these days uh, among passive-aggressive neighbors or enemies. All right. They don't want to get right up in your face, but they don't want you to succeed. And for you to have a healthy harvest means you succeed. For you to have an unhealthy harvest um, means perhaps that their harvest will be better. You've heard the story. You've heard it said before that there are two ways to make yourself look better. One is to be better. The other is to tear down everybody else. Now, obviously, this kind of goes to that second, tear down everybody else. Uh, I can't stop you from planting. I can't stop you from buying good seed. But what I can do is sow bad seed to taint your harvest. Planting weeds in your ad- in the field of your adversary, adversary, they will compete with the good plants for nutrition, they will compete with the good plants for sunlight. They will compete with the good plants for water and possibly even damage the plants or taint the harvest. Now, as I said, I'm not an expert in weeds. I'm not an expert in planting good stuff either. So I consulted the experts, and depending upon your translation, some translations use the word weeds. Some translations use the word tares, which tares, by most scholars' account, are bearded darnel. Now, what's interesting, if you look, bearded darnel is on the left, and wheat is on the right. Now, you can see, as those plants grew and the heads were formed, eventually... If you knew what you were doing, you could tell the difference. But while they're in the process, those first green sprouts, you're not going to know the difference. Even when the heads just begin to form, you're not going to know the difference. Once they're formed, you can see, okay, a little different shape to the kernels, the clusters, and the head of the grain is a little bit different, and there's actually a little bit of a coloring difference. So had I went out as soon as I saw the sprouts and start plucking stuff, there's a good chance I'd have been plucking wheat as well as weeds. Then as they got a little bit healthier and the heads started to form, I may have had a clue, but because of the way stuff grows, there's a good chance that the roots of the tares or the weeds and the roots of the wheat would be intertwined to where if it wasn't yet harvest time and I pulled the weeds, I would also uproot the wheat. It's interesting that bearded darnel or tares is also known as poison rye. It could lead to dizziness, nausea, 
It had a bitter taste and had mild narcotic qualities. So if I allowed the harvest to come and I threshed my grain and included both the tares and the wheat, my wheat would be spoiled. And nobody would want to buy it because it made them sick or feel funny. In today's world, maybe people would want to buy it, but that's a whole other story for another day. Very similar, right up until harvest time. As Jesus told the story, the wise thing to do was to wait until harvest. Harvest all the plants and look at the two. Weeds, wheat, weeds, wheat, and save them accordingly. So that's a little bit of an explanation behind the story. Because if we don't understand that and we think weeds and wheat, I, I don't get it all of a sudden, it kind of starts to make a little bit more sense. So some observation or some applications. Now, this is another passage of Scripture. Um, and I'm going it, to, it's kind of, you, we've talked before in this series that Jesus would tell these stories, but he wouldn't immediately offer an explanation. And this is another one of those times. Jesus told the story about the individual who planted his wheat Adversary sowed the weeds, and he told the story. When the crowd's gone, Jesus, and you know, we understand human nature. You know that while Jesus is telling this story, the disciples are smiling and nodding their heads like they get it. You know, you know that, don't you? Oh, yeah, we, we, yeah, we got this. But as soon as everybody's gone, they say, Jesus, what did that mean? I don't get it. And so Jesus offers this explanation a little bit later in Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 36. So then he left the crowd and went, to, went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Of the, kingdom. the weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who will do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, whoever has ears, let them hear. I, I just want to share four simple observations or application points. And, and the first from this is, we all have an adversary who seeks to counter any efforts that we make for a healthy harvest. And I speak of a healthy harvest in our own lives, and a healthy harvest in the lives of those we have the opportunity to influence. And I would simply point out, that this is not going to be deep stuff. It's just going to be some simple, you know what? I know that. But what am I going to do about it? He who has ears, let him hear. Remember the story. When did the weeds get sown? When he was sleeping. All right? 
They didn't come out and walk alongside him and say, hey, you mind if I plant some weeds while you're sowing your wheat? And waited till he was dozing, wasn't paying attention. To me, friends, this is a simple, subtle, or not so subtle reminder that we must be vigilant for righteousness if we would desire to have a harvest of righteousness. So the question to be asked when we say we all have an adversary who seeks to counter our efforts for a healthy harvest, the question we need to ask is, are there areas in my life where I am sleeping spiritually? Where I'm on autopilot or cruise control or I'm just plain coasting? Because when we doze, when we are distracted, as we talked about last week, when we're coasting, we are vulnerable for the seeds of the adversary to be sown. Now, just think about this. If you had just planted a field and you saw someone go out behind you and start planting seed on top of your seed, you'd probably go out and say, hey, what are you doing? I didn't ask you to do that. And you say, see ya. Politely, of course. We must be vigilant because we have an adversary. Now, I understand the world is a very different place from when I grew up. When I grew up, we had cartoons. I don't know what they have now because it doesn't make any sense to me at all. But can I just say for you old-timers... Our adversary is not a cartoon character with pointy horns, a pitchfork, and a cute pointy tail. Our adversary is real. Some of you know these passages, but we're going to look at them anyway. First Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Again, you old-timers, many, many, many years ago, we rented space for our worship time from the Methodist Church on the campus of Albion College. And ages ago, Diana was teaching the children on this passage. And we had some guests who actually thought they were going to the other church that used the building. And their kids ended up in our class. These guests happened to be missionaries from Africa. Not missionaries to Africa. They were people who had grown up, raised their family in Africa, and were here visiting. And they had little ones in Diana's class. And when she told this story, when she got to this part where it says, Be alert of so and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Many of our kids were just sitting there like a bump on a log. But those two little girls who had grown up in Africa, their eyes were like this. Because they knew what it meant to have a lion lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. And they knew they didn't want it to be them. Friends, so when I say we have an adversary who always works to oppose our pursuit of the harvest of righteousness, it's real, and it's not pretty, and it's not a cartoon. 
Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, pay attention, make an effort, be ready, be vigilant. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, I just want to remind us, as I think about sorting seeds and pulling weeds, we all have an adversary. Oh, did I put and? Come on here. I can do better than that. I apologize. We all have an adversary who seeks to counter our efforts for a healthy harvest. It's just the way it is. The next observation that I would make is we haven't, we all have an adversary. Did I do that twice? All right. Ah, uh, thank you, Matt. All right. It's always nice to have tech guys who have your back no matter what you do with the remote. Uh, it is a challenge to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. Friends, can I just say this? That applies out there. It applies in here. I suspect we have all been surprised, disappointed by the misdeeds of someone whom we thought was a good Christian. It's not always easy to distinguish the wheat from the weeds. I suspect we've also been surprised by the righteous actions of someone we thought was far from God. It's a challenge to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. Matthew puts it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In your name serve my church faithfully and consistently. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Think about the Bible stories, the disciples, the 12 people who walked and lived in closest connectivity to the Son of God, yet one of them would betray him. To the outsiders, Judas was all that. He was part of the in crowd. He looked like wheat not weeds. There's a story in the book of Acts where the church is just exploding and people are excited. They are on fire spiritually. And a husband and wife were excited and they decided to sell some property and give the proceeds to the church. Sounds like wheat to me. Doesn't it? I mean, that's sacrificial giving. Selling stuff so you can give it? The only problem is that Ananias and Sapphira sold it for one amount, 
gave a portion of that amount under the impression they lied. They were deceitful that they were giving the full amount so people would think more of them. <laughs> Sometimes I need to coordinate those ringtones with my message. Um, it's a challenge to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. The rest of that story is Ananias came and presented the amount lied to the disciples' face and fell dead. They carry his body out. Sapphira comes in, his wife, and tells the same lie. Boom, she's dead. Friends, by their generosity, they looked like wheat, but their hearts revealed weeds. The opposite. This guy called Saul. He hated Christ's followers. He literally had orders from the government to arrest them and throw them in jail. And he's going throughout the countryside looking to do just that. That's, in my book, that's weeds. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But he has a real personal life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And he became wheat. Friends, it is a challenge to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. Which brings us to this. Because of what I just said, it is unwise to make hasty judgment as to whether one is wheat or weeds. Friends, can I just say, accurate assessment often requires more information than we have at our disposal, making patience and discernment of the utmost importance. And hear me well here, because this is really a delicate balance. Sin must be addressed, but we must strive for that delicate balance between nurturing wheat and pulling weeds. And friends, it's not an easily defined role. Even minimal exposure to the news of our day will reveal that countless churches are at risk of being overrun by weeds, while at the same time, countless other churches are destroying valuable wheat by taking a flamethrower to the weeds. Friends, I do not even pretend to have this figured out. But it always needs to be in the back of our hearts and the back of our minds as we relate to others, as we relate to each other, and as we look at ourselves in the mirror. Jesus put it this way as he was sending out the disciples. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Friends, what a calling that we have. It is unwise to make hasty judgments as to whether one is wheat or one is weeds. That does not absolve us us of our responsibility to stand for righteousness, but it does call us 
to show extreme caution. The final observation is there will be a time of judgment for all. Again, going back to the dark ages when I was in school, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, I was a good student. I'm not boasting. I was not perfect, but I was a good student. There were two things academically that I had a great disdain for. One was pop quizzes. I've told you that before. I had the academic ability. If I knew a test was coming, I could prepare, and I could do reasonably well. The other thing I had great disdain for were comprehensive finals. At the end of a class, one test covering everything, because my academic regimen was study for the test and then forget it, and study for the next test and then forget it. And those classes that had a comprehensive final exam meant that didn't work. I had to study it and retain it. Friends, not to be simplistic, but there will be a comprehensive final exam. And no weeds are going to get one over on the judge. There will come a day, and there will be accountability. Now, if you're at all like me, I would generally like to call down fire from heaven on the weeds as I determine that they're weeds. Get them, God. Get them, God. If people back in the day had that ability, Saul never would have become Paul because they'd have cooked him. But there will come a day and there will be judgment for all. Again, it's a familiar passage to some of us. In the Revelation chapter 20, the Apostle John writes this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, friends, without going down uh, too much of a rabbit trail, I, I just want to point out what was said there. There is an assessment, an evaluation that looks at what we've done. But then, if I do this without messing up again, what it all comes down to is not the book of deeds, but whether our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And that comes.
through a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with God. Just like Saul becoming Paul, every person in all of creation has the opportunity to say yes to the transforming power, enter into a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with God, and be transformed from weed to wheat for all of eternity. It's that simple. It is that profound. Now, friends, that thought can either be incredibly scary or incredibly comforting to know that in the end, justice will be done. Are any of us perfect? Oh, no, we're not. Can any of us be made perfect by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ and be transformed from wheat to weed? Oh, yes, we can. And that's what this is all about. But I just, I picture that harvest. And go back in your mind to that picture I showed about the bearded Darnell and the wheat. And picture all the heads laid out. And somebody who really knows the difference saying, weed, wheat, weed, wheat. That's the hope that we all have. I said repeatedly through this series of messages, we're talking about simple stories that bring sobering realities. Friends, to recap, if it can be difficult to tell the wheat from the tares, if poor judgment, making a wrong assessment, can cause serious damage to good wheat, if sound judgment can only be made once all the facts are known, then we would all do well to focus our efforts on drawing as close as possible to the one who knows the difference. And so I have a lot of life experience. But I don't know it all. I have become a fairly good judge of people. But I don't know it all. And I think the same is probably true for all of us. So to me, it screams of the importance of staying as close to the one who knows the difference as I possibly can. There will be weeds, and there will be, will be judgment. So our response should be twofold. Make sure that we're producing wheat in our own lives. And that's the one I can know. Whether I'm able to admit it to myself or not, I can know my heart. And I can know where I stand in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So make sure we're producing wheat in our own lives. Being ever watchful of weeds in our own fields. A lot of us have an incredible capacity to spot weeds in somebody else's field as we're driving by 65 miles an hour in the car. Jesus told another story about, here, let me take that speck out of your eye when I've got a log in my own eye. Let's, let's look at my field. Let me look at my field and make sure that there's wheat and not weeds. And the other response is for us to work diligently 
to sow and cultivate good weed or good wheat all around us without being distracted by looking for tares in the lives of others. The, 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 the question is, is my name, my name, my name written in the Lamb's book of life because of what I've done with the truth of Jesus Christ? Bow your heads with me. As we close our eyes and bow our heads, I'm struck by the subtlety of what the adversary did. Um, Sneaking in after dark and sowing weeds. It highlights the importance of diligence. But as I think about the message that, that I've just offered, as I think about the story about the, the good seed and the bad seed, the weed and the tares and the subtlety, um, it would be a mistake for me not to just pause and ask you to ask yourself, have I said yes to Jesus? Have I said yes I understand you died for my sin. I understand that I am a sinner. I'm separated from you by the choices that I've made. I understand that your death and resurrection were intended to give me the opportunity to say yes and be transformed from weed to wheat. And because of that fact, I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Sure, there's a lot of stuff in the Book of Deeds that I'm not proud of but I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life because I said yes to the saving work of Jesus Christ. So with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you want to say, Jesus, perhaps for the first time in my life, Jesus, yes, write my name in your book of life. If you're making that decision this morning for the first time in your life, would you make eye contact with me as your way of saying Yes, Jesus, write my name in your book. Okay? All right. Somebody else? For those who looked up, it's as simple as I just said. Yes, Jesus. In your heart, in your mind right now, just say, yes, Jesus. I believe that you died to transform me from weed to wheat. I know that there will be challenges ahead. But I know that you'll work within me, God, to bring a harvest of righteousness because of the choice that I just made. Thank you, Jesus. Father, for those who didn't look up, I'm assuming it's because they've already made that decision. And for all of those folks, uh, we simply ask, Father, that you will help us day by day by day to be vigilant in keeping the weeds out of our fields. We'll be diligent about staying as close to you as we possibly can so that we'll know the difference. And we'll be diligent about living in such a way that more wheat is sown and weeds are eliminated. And that we will understand that sometimes only you know the difference. And we'll do our part and trust you to do yours. We thank you and we praise you. Father, we thank and praise you that we don't have to be fearful when we stand before you and the books are open. 
because we have the assurance that we've said yes and our name is in your book of life. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Worship team.